Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mental Wellness Mondays. I am back. I'm better than ever. Um, I saw Dan uh, throwing shade at me last week. I don't appreciate that, but we'll discuss that later. But we have a special, special, special guest and a very timely guest. I mean, if you've been following some of the the concerning news that's been doing the rounds on social media in the past few weeks, I think you'll understand the importance of this conversation we're about to have. So right now we've got Dr. Ngululeko Dewa, who's an addiction counselor. Uh, in the area of multiple uh, species, pathology, and diagnostics dealing with drugs and substance research. He's also the founder and CEO of the Inner City Mission Zimbabwe and the International Wellness Center in Rua. He's an international guest, you see. And Dr. Dewa assists a lot of people who are challenged with drug addiction at his rehabilitation center. Thank you so much for joining us, Doc. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Well, we're glad uh, we're glad you could find some time for us. It's much appreciated. Um, I think in the last for quite a while now on this particular podcast, where we discuss mental wellness. An issue that has come up uh, repeatedly is uh, the issue of addiction, and you know we've been hearing some very worrying uh, news and uh, statistics and uh, anecdotal information from around the country. So we've been quite keen to have some more information with those who are actually uh, plugged into what's actually going on on the ground. So thank you very much for joining us, Doc. Uh, maybe a good place to start is just so that we get to know you a little bit better. Um, if you don't mind just sharing with us why you got into the field of uh, addiction counseling and dealing with uh, addiction. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I think... Um, just to warm you up, like you said, um, this is a very emotional field. Per se, because basically you're dealing with the lives of people. That could be in a better space, but because of one reason to the next, they are in this predicament. And it is the, the realization that this is not because they want but because there are other underlying factors that you realize that probably there's a lot of misconceptions concerning addiction and uh, the stigmatization of anyone that is into addiction. That probably pushes someone, probably who is a professional in another field, to go into an in-depth research to find out why do people probably get into addiction. And it is such facts when you realize exactly what is going on in, in an addict's life, then that's when you, reali you realize there's a need to bring forth some interventions, timely interventions, and relevant and scientifically proven um, interventions so that probably you bring a relief to people that are in, into addiction. Mm. So... <sighs> At your center, especially in, in the last few months, maybe even the year, um, what substances keep coming up that people are struggling to overcome? You know, there's something very interesting about that question because uh, there is information at face value, which is circulating probably everywhere else. But deeper than that, you realize that uh, besides what we know, there's lots of uh, inventions in the drug world where the users actually uh, probably we used to the crystal meth, we used to the cannabis, we used to, to the psychotropics, we used to 
you know, these common drugs. And of late, you, you realize that cocaine is playing a very big role in, in, in the addiction arena. Mm. Because basically, um, the users end up doing cocktails. And what is important is in-depth research in every case. We don't take any case at face value or we, because there's a, a, com a common norm in science that says diseases do not read textbooks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Diseases don't read textbooks. So if you go straight line, you, you would miss it because all you would see are probably psychotic presentations. But deep in there, there is more than just what you see. For example, if you focus on crystal meth alone, you realize that the, the actual user is using cocktails. And there is behind the scenes, there is cocaine and other drugs, ecstasy and all that. So it is only important that you, you scientifically approach this. What mm. do you do? Go for tests. Do your, grad, your drug screening. So this is our basis for all our protocols. We, the foundation is research. We need to find out exactly what anyone coming and presenting in, in any manner. We need to find out exactly what he's using so that you are able to bring holistic interventions. Okay. So anecdotally, and I think also in, in the media, um, drugs like cocaine are usually positioned as um, expensive party drugs, you know, um, and then crystal meth is more of the, the cheaper, easy to access um, drug. Would you say that that tracks with the work you're doing? Or, because you mentioned that sometimes people are doing cocktails, for example. Um, I, I'm very, I wouldn't say interested, but more more concerned or... I'd like to know how like people who become addicts start switching from one drug to another or, or, or taking these cocktails and how they get access to them. Because for a lot of people, people still believe Zimbabwe is a very drug free country. How is this happening? All right. Right. Let me, let me answer it in a, in a, in an exemplified way. User A is taking crystal meth. For a period of time what then happens is because he has been using crystal meth for a certain period of time obviously his tolerance levels increase use a certain dose does not get him high anymore so what does he do he looks for a, a new high that's when the cocktails come into play and uh, probably don't take the cocaine at face value because there are certain other products that they are actually using probably that contain the cocaine or any other drug. For example, they go for, probably you have seen that they, they, they are now going for the pampas, for the tampons and all that stuff. So, but it tests, when you run now the tests in the lab, you start picking up some of these chemicals you can only pick them up in the lab. So I remember, but I can't remember. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. You get sorry, yes, sorry, but the Africans, you won't be knowing exactly where exactly they got the cocaine. Mm. 
Okay. I can't remember if it was on this show, Dan, or it was in just general conversation, but I do remember someone was speaking about how people are, are now um, siphoning the chemicals from Pampers um, to get mm-hmm. high. And, and and the question that people have still failed to address that has been eating away at me is, are these used Pampers or, or are they going to the store to get... Because... They're also the, the pads, question. and also menstrual pads as well. Maybe in addition to what to what Phil is asking, I think something that I've wondered about because I've seen some of the sensationalized stories about Zimbabwe's grappling with addiction. Um, you know, a fluorescent light bulbs used uh, Pampers, and I I worry is is that what a mainstream is it like uh, happening? Um, you know, throughout the country or happening on a a, a concerning at a concerning level in terms of number of people, or is it one or two incidents that have been sensationalized by someone who comes across it and puts it in the news? Uh, do we really have a problem with Pampers or is it just sensation? So I'm really, I've been trying to find the bottom, get to the bottom of that. As someone who's actually dealing with those coming in for addiction, what what is, what's happening with some of these homemade, uh, so-called homemade substances that people are getting addicted to? That's a very important question. Because um, probably for, for me to answer you effectively, I want you to understand probably the science of addiction so that you understand how uh, these guys behave and what triggers that behavior. Right. Uh, user A is taking a certain drug or is taking alcohol or is taking any, any, any of these substances. The body will biosynthesize that substance and produce the intoxication that one requires. Mm. But in the back of the mind, you know, it remembers that I will need this thing in future. That's the mind at play. Then mm. what does it do? Most of these substances are fat soluble. So what then happens? The body now stores excess of that substance in fatty tissues as a drug residue or as a metabolite. Right. Post-intoxication. Right. There's certain reactions that take place. What are they? The body now withdraws from the fatty tissues back into circulation, the residues. But these residues, they are in what we call sublethal doses, which means they cannot elicit intoxication. But they are enough to cause a re-stimulation. Right. That re-stimulation is what we call addiction. Because you are constantly reminded of the drug. You are constantly reminded of the need to top up. That's what probably in simpler terms, after post-intoxication, mm. because you're now feeling the edge to top up. Now, what, now, back to your question. What then it means is the drug's operation in the body now compromises your mental capacity to make reasonable decisions because now there's this agitation to say, let me chop up. Now, this is the stage whereby experiments come into play. Remember, the people that use the drugs, some of them are the doctors themselves. Some of them are pharmacists themselves. They know chemical compositions in different substances. And because he wants a quick fix, 
his intelligence kicks in and he says, oh, this is composed of this chemical, so if I take this and this, I will get my high. Mm -hmm. I hope you I, I hope you're getting it. Yes. I have a particular case in point. One one of our one of the users, what he did at some point when he was admitted, because he had these intense withdrawals, he would take certain leaves. And we we have a glass trimmer at the institution, it's part of their occupational therapy. He would just take a syringe and pull a few uh, pools, he take a few pools of petrol mixed with these leaves and mixed with this and that and you will come up with a, an intoxicated mixture mm. sure. wow i think um apart from uh, i don't know if phil wants to continue along this line of questioning but i just also wanted to say apart from the substances that we're seeing uh something else that has seemed to be reported a lot in the news and the media in general is that there has been a huge spike recently. Uh, I think I read an article somewhere that at Salim Gabe Hospital in 2019 up to 2020, there was an increase of something like 600% or something like that of substance abuse cases. So um, have you noticed the same? Have you seen uh, a sharp spike in recent uh, months? Cumulatively, I would say not months, but a year. Mm. Each each month brings its own dynamics. But I'll, I'll tell you, there's, a, there's an upward trend towards the use of drugs, especially among a certain age group, the, the teenagers. And I'm talking um, about probably 13 years of age going upward. And uh, obviously, the, the 40s, the percentage is quite lower. But we still have cases in the 40s and even in the 60s. I have attended to probably in the last three, four months, I think I, I've had about five cases of the 60s. Hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's, it's looking bleak. Eh? This is such an uplifting, happy episode. Um, this is great. This is so... So in the process that you take somebody through um, recovery, um, you know, you're saying, you, you mentioned earlier that there are other underlying issues. What are some of the things that come up? Like, you know, addiction seems like it's the only problem or the only cause. What, what else are you finding that's, that's leading, that's kind of um, fueling the addictions? in what you've seen with the, the, the clients that you work with, the patients that you work with? Yeah, that's a very important question. Um, I was apparently addressing some corporates this afternoon. I had a session, some big sessions with a lot of corporates that had gathered together. And uh, they're struggling with addiction at work. Mm. Employees and um, one thing I will start by saying is no one is born an addict. Something somewhere went wrong. There is an underlying discomfort that they are struggling with, but they have no solution. So it's a whole mental health um, environment 
that is disturbed and that becomes the trigger mm. right some of the most common um the, the one that is top most especially amongst the, the young generation you realize that there is a parenting gap a very big parenting problem that um exposes them probably to drug addiction because probably i'll say for example we've got a lot of parents that are in the diaspora and the kids are in zim mm. right and um probably before they left the kids had never been exposed even to money probably they used to, to, to small pocket monies that they were being given two bucks one buck or something like that but suddenly now they are landlords and they are getting 500 bucks 600 bucks they shop to them they have never handled such money probably they use the first 200 bucks they find they still another 300 bucks and it's excess money that they are not sure of what to use it for they end up okay doing parties these parties that's where other youths that are already exposed to drugs bring the drug and that's how they are introduced into such drugs mm -hmm. and that's a big problem among the the children that have got parents in the diaspora that's one of the major findings that we've made uh secondly the parents are there but probably the the parents got money suddenly along the way they didn't have money before but suddenly they got money and they do a compensatory parenting through giving tokens and gifts in excess without empowering their children what you realize is it's a shock to them and obviously when it's a shock they behave in a certain manner at the end of the day um i'll give a, a case in point like um look at people like the the gold panels mm. they they go for gold panning in his lifetime he has never handled 20 bucks suddenly he gets gold that gives him five thousand dollars his mind goes haywire the first thing he does is he, he just buys impulsive you do an impulsive buying he buys beer he buys everything he gets a new woman he gets this and that and that and that so impulsive the money gets finished he's back to square one he goes to look for more it's a cycle it becomes a cycle in the cycle it's the same concept in terms of parenting what we need is a process whereby we take our kids along with us train them in the issues of life otherwise if we don't the street will train them for you to train the teachers only and we don't give them a strong foundation at home For, including financial literacy is one of the major subjects that we need actually to teach our kids because they will get a shock when they get into the street and they find so much money it becomes a shock and um, the other the other one obviously um, absent parents or probably a, a child is raised by a single parent you know there becomes an inherent deficit that can only be healed if it's identified but in most cases we we pretend that um, all is well around the, the kid is missing the mom that so much has to play a certain role but because mom and dad are not in good terms probably the kid is not allowed to see mom or is not allowed to see the dad no matter how we try and compensate that there is that inherent gap 
There is a natural instinct towards a parent that cannot be replaced by anyone else. No matter you put an uncle, yeah, he's just an uncle, he's not a father. He's an uncle, he's a, she's an aunt, she's not a mom. And you realize that that gap creates a certain trauma around the kid. They grow up with anger, they grow up with this missing link because they are at school. Everybody else has got a mom and a dad and he doesn't have the mom and the dad. And he feels that time. And if he can't fill that gap, what happens? He has to compensate that gap. So sometimes they end up in addiction. They go into drugs. So yes, yes, you were you were just explaining that the parenting gap could be uh, one of the issues that's causing this. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's a big issue. It's a big issue, I'll tell you. Because you, you will you will realize that um, when you do your sessions, there is this gap. They, they literally verbalize that. I miss my mom. But dad doesn't allow us to speak to mom. Dad doesn't allow us to speak to, to relate with her. Mm. Mom doesn't allow us this. You see, probably parents normally take their fights into the kids' yard. And that creates a crisis. And because they can't challenge the situation, because dad pays the money or mom pays the money, he who pays the piper says the children. So they simply have to comply. And um, probably the other, the other um, uh, concept is, is parenting by default. Um, probably what I can say is in a lot of cases, parents won't be aware that they are doing it the wrong way. Um, the, 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 the digital generation, the so-called Amateur 2000, they are wired in a certain way. And when we come with our old ways sometimes, they don't get it. We, we tend to impose what we failed to do as adults when we're still young and try and impose it upon the kids to take it over. And when we do that, they may comply because they, they're scared that the, the, the benefits will go away. But deep in there, there's a protest going on. So we need this interactive parenting where we are able to reach them out and understand exactly how they are wired. And then we share ideas with them so that they become part and parcel of decision making. Otherwise, we, we, we roller coaster and along the way, they feel very uncomfortable. Unfortunately, they are not as, uh, probably I can say, strong as the previous generation was. The previous generations. The previous generation, someone says, uh, the counseling just involves just a switch, and then one clap by your parent will, will get you into position. But not with this generation. It's a different generation that analyzes, that scrutinizes, and wants to understand things. You know, uh, of course, uh, doing the research and the actual work on the ground, this is definitely, you know, something that you've seen. But I can't help but wonder, um, it's not, it's probably not practical to expect that every family will have an ideal family situation. Um, in fact, it's very likely that there are many families where it's not going to be possible to have uh, both parents or even one of the parents there. Um is, is there another solution that could be put in place to try and help those people who are going through this uh, um, gap or parenting gap? 
Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, the the thing is, um, practitioners, the presence of practitioners brings it's a bridging exercise. Mm. It's a bridging intervention because without doubt, it being the major player, what it then means is we've got to be proactive and design certain programs that bring intervention. For example, at the rear, um, we, we've got programs that are probably for responsible boys, responsible girls, and responsible parenting. Because like you, like you are saying, it's not every family that has got the correct setup. And it therefore means we, 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 we will still continue having the same problem. But at the same time, what do we do ourselves is as practitioners, as institutions, we have to develop programs that are relevant to the obtaining situation. Because the, the, the biggest problem is to have an aerial approach to this thing. The aerial approach will not work. That's why I say to you, uh, diseases do not read the textbook. Mm. They come on the offside. They come on the offset. They come on the on different angles. And it means as a practitioner, you have got to be very versatile. Identify case by case what's happening. No two cases can never can ever be the same. No two patients can ever be the same. No matter they are exposed to the same environment, they react differently. Just like if you give two people the same drug, same dose, when they react, they react differently. Someone takes a pint of beer, is already singing, and someone takes 15 and is not singing at all. So it's like we have to customize the way we do our things so that we can answer those questions that you're coming up with. But however, we don't deny also that uh, some of the, of the users actually get exposed because of the peer pressure. Mm. It's peer pressure. There's also the availability of, uh, of the drugs. I, I, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's, it's actually a, an epidemic that, that is unleashed because almost every street corner will be eating the high density suburbs in the medium density, in the low density. You, you, you realize that there's a, a drug dealer every corner there's there's people that are dealing in drugs because that's money it's it's, it's lucrative it's anyone who is dealing with that makes so much money so it's attractive for the drug dealers so it it becomes very easy to access and um, it is such keys that probably some of them that have not uh, had a, a sound grounding that will easily fall into the trap <clears throat> Um, I'll, sorry, go ahead, Doctor. Oh, one of the questions I I wanted to ask you, Doc, is um, people saying that there's insufficient access to rehab, and what is there is quite um, unaffordable for most people, and then also not effective. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would like to be very controversial on that one. Um, at some point, we had a workshop with the World Health Organization um, psychiatrists. Um, the protocols that I've always preferred, like I said from the beginning, should be scientific. Mm. Right. Drug addiction 
just like any other disease. In in this case, it's a disease of the mind. Yeah. Right. It's a disease of the mind. So, right. Let's put an infectious disease on the side. Say we say cholera. Right. In cholera, what do we do? We go scientific. We go from causative organism, actually probably means of transmission, causative organism, the pathogenesis, the intervention, and all that. We go full scale. We, we can explain from the beginning to the end. But unfortunately, the protocols that are being employed in uh, drug addiction basically are psychiatric in nature only. How do we do it? We are basing on the clinical presentation. But we are not going full scale. We are not classifying the, the drug addiction, going mm. step by step. How is someone uh, getting the drug? Firstly, there is a push factor. There is an underlying thing. Then the next stage, we are not going to say, okay, what does the drug do in the body of a human being when it goes in to go specific because the psychiatric way which is the major mo most of the institutions are psychiatric in nature I, I i respect the psychiatric path in that firstly the assessment needs to be done we need to separate probably a a, a mental disorder patient and in the drug-induced mental disorder. Mm, okay. That is going to be separated. You, you need to clarify which patient it is. Because if you just mix the two, what then happens is you are going to use a one-size-fits-all protocol. Now, when we go psychiatric, what happens is we are using psychotropics, which are mind-altering drugs. Right. If they are mind-altering drugs, what do we want to achieve? We want to achieve rehabilitation. A patient that you, you're handling, you need him to be functional again. Now, what do we need now? We need, um, firstly, when we go through the cycle, I said it before, the science says the chemical gets into the body, it's biosynthesized, causes intoxication. How does it cause it? It affects the brain, it affects the pleasure centers, it does all that. Right. Having done that, if you are to bring interventions, what are the other secondary complications as it created? The, metab the vitamin metabolism, the mineral metabolism is affected. So when we list all these, it means when we come for interventions, we need to address those. Because if we don't address those, what it then means is we're going to simply come with a psychotropic. He's already taking a mind-altering track. We're coming in with a psychotropic that will alter his mind again. In other words, we create a secondary addiction to a psychotropic. And also the secondary addiction is because there's also residues that are still inherent, that are coming into play. And most of our drugs of choice in, in, in our approach, what is it? We are using opiates and opioids they elicit uh, residues in the system so in other words we, we have created another addiction so that the patient does not function without a psychotropic mm. right i understand initially because of the agitations 
the initial approach, the psychiatrist comes in and does an evaluation, and probably the, the patient is, is, um, is violent disposition. Um, he, he's presenting in one way or the other. In order to handle him or to restrain him, yes, the psychotropic can come into play. But going forward, how do we now come in and help the patient so that he becomes functional without actually relying further on a substance? Because if we then create a secondary addiction, it means post-rehabilitation is still going to relapse because he still is, you have a craving towards the psychotropic. And without exposure to the psychotropic, he can't be functional. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we've done a mood stabilization on him. So how do we propose to do it? And uh, a detox is necessary because you need to take out the drug residues from his system, number one. Number two, we need to intervene, use the, we are saying vitamin, vitamin um, metabolism is affected. So what do we need to do? Give a push start to the vitamins, essential vitamins that are needed, niacin, niacinamide. We need them back because we need them to feel good. Otherwise, before that, he is disoriented because his feel-good hormones are, are manipulated. They are, they are released as and when the drug is active. So it's not measured and it's not, um, it's not structured. We need to put back the structure, the mm. mental structure, put it back. So it's important for the protocols to actually look at the damage caused and then bring um, specific interventions. The minerals, we need them restored in his system. That's why you, you realize that some of them, when they come, they are already, they are adults, but they are, they are so malnourished so much and they need a boost in their system. And the mood swings, the, the violent dispositions and, and all that. But if you come in and give a withdrawal, that is got probably a package to restore the vitamin metabolism, the mineral metabolism, it will uh, actually take care of the withdrawal symptoms. And then when you go for the detox now, the detox it takes away the, the residues from the system because as long as the, the residues exist, there's always re-stimulation. He's always reminded of the drug. No matter it may last six months, seven months, and you think, ah, now he's okay, and he's on psychotropics. What happens is you are building up the, the, the residual um, deposition in his system at some point. That's why it, it becomes so difficult later on to let go of the psychotropics because now we have created another addiction. Mm -hmm. uh. you, you know, yeah. We mentioned earlier that uh, this was a, a a tough conversation. Well, it is. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's many people that can relate. They are seeing uh, certain family members, perhaps, who uh, fit into the mold, or they see uh, people that they know that sort of fit into this. Uh, perhaps where we could take this, uh, Dr. Dewey, is if we could find out um, if, if people notice this in their family and their friends and people around them, or perhaps start seeing uh, hints of this in themselves, uh, what steps could they take to get help? Yeah, there's something that I forgot to answer on in your previous question, because you said um, where help is available is expensive. Yes. And mm -hmm. 
yeah, that, that's a reality. We we've got very few rehabs um, in the country, and basically, if you ask our our friends in the psychiatric uh, centers, they will let they will they will tell you that ideally they would not have loved patients to be in the same space, but because of the need that is there, they are forced to accommodate both kinds of patients in the same place. And um, like you have said, it's quite expensive. I think you can, you can hear from what I've said right now, you, there's steps that need to be taken. And uh, these are quite expensive. You're looking at the lab. We, we, th there is no um, treatment that you can effectively administer without scientific um, research. You need to find out what the patient is taking. So you can't run away from that cost because definitely any practitioner needs to know what substances are being taken. And the other thing is you need to know the liver condition, especially for those that have been in uh, doing drugs for a long time. I think uh, they will, will actually um, tell you that the, the liver is one of the major organs that gets compromised because of exposure to drugs. So it's important to know before you even do your interventions to know the condition of the liver. Otherwise, your interventions may actually further complicate that patient. So you need the foundation. You need the clinical examinations because some of the patients, by the time they go to the to the area, they are already they, they already have secondary uh, medical condition. Like I'm saying, the liver, kidney, mm. you, you know, the heart. The, the, the lungs, they, they already have conditions because of uh, exposure to, to the drugs. So you need them going through that process so that if they need a medical intervention, that's where it starts. It has to start there. Their condition is determined and then adequate medical interventions are done. Otherwise, yeah, people say it's expensive, but uh, remember, if that individual Probably they, we 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 do it. We run a test and we discover liver cirrhosis advanced. Family will come together and gather money and try and retrieve that person. The issue is we we have looked at drug addiction as a non-important issue, except on the because of the you know the losses that we we face. The losses I mean probably they are stealing things from the house and selling. They are, they are beating up people and all that. That's what that's the side we see. On the side of interventions, we don't really, really, really put importance to it. Because anyone who is seeking the family, people come together and see how best they can seek uh, interventions. For example, probably it's a heart problem. Heart problems will always elicit big bills. You see what I'm talking about? If they are specialized conditions. They attract specialized even prizes at the end of the day. And there are things that you can't run away from. Um, right. What I will say is, what I'm happy about is that um, the, the government has seen, has seen the importance of this and set up uh, infrastructure to try and get uh, and give help. But uh, it's, it, it's, Right at its infancy, the interventions, because we are still gathering information so that we see how best um, various practitioners can, can bring solutions 
But at the moment, yes, it's a private good and it's, it's quite expensive uh, because of its nature. It's not a simple, simple procedure in terms of uh, handling a drug addict. Um, if you ask me, anything less than 60 days may not give you a good uh, result because you're dealing with emotions that, have, that are misplaced. You're dealing with a behavior that has been displaced. You're dealing with a lot of issues around one person. And when you're dealing with such, it does not take seven days to, to fix that. It's impossible. Because mentally, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a real picture. Um, the longer someone is in drugs, the more a lot of instincts are lost along the way. Just the interpersonal relational instincts will be gone. That's why probably when, when they are in a, in a family setup, they don't recognize the family anymore. He can insult his dad like he's insulting his, his peer. He can beat up his mom like he's, he's beating up his peer. He can, look at, uh, he can look at his siblings and think that they are a problem to him. It takes the present to do that because the mind is a recording machine. It records every activity that goes on every day. Now, when crystal meth comes into play, it reverses and takes back what used to happen in the past. That's why you become an enemy if you are a sibling to him because at some point probably you didn't give him money and he needed money from you. He remembers that. He doesn't remember now that you have been giving him pocket money. He remembers the past. I think at some point, there's a video that went viral. Two boys, they were completely naked in the street. And they were reciting the Lord's Prayer. And everybody else was beating them up. And they did all sorts of uh, disciplinary measures on them. For starters, they were not feeling pain. Secondly, they were not at the same wavelength with everybody else. They were reciting the Lord's Prayer. Why were they doing that? They were remembering at some point they were, they were in Sunday school. So that's what was at play at that moment. You see that? So you're dealing with someone that is already so much away from where you are. You see what I'm talking about? So it does not take a short time to reverse those. The damage caused by drugs does not take a day, does not take a week, does not take 30 days. No. Because if you just handle the drug and don't address the underlying factors, number one, number two, the post-rehabilitation uh, time, because he may walk back into the same trap that caused him to go into drugs when he comes out of the rehab. So you need to address all those facts so that when he gets discharged, he goes into a safe place where he can operate effectively and not go back into drugs. I think, uh, thank you very much, Dr. Tewa. I think we've reached a stage where we're running out of time. Um, but of course, there are a lot more conversations that need to be had. There's a lot more understanding that people need to get as well. Uh, if people want to find you or perhaps find the, the rehab clinic that you work with or find any kind of assistance, is there some way that they can get in touch with you? Yes, um, they can get in touch with me on, uh, can I give the number and yeah. also... Yeah. Uh, it's all triple seven, mm -hmm. five seven nine, one two one. Right. And then we Parktown Hospital. They can walk into Parktown Hospital and present their case. 
which is in waterfalls, is part of us. And uh, African Diagnostic Lab, which is right in town, uh, it's number 60 Livingstone Avenue in town, African Diagnostic Lab. They can walk into those facilities if they are anywhere in town and uh, they can get help from there. All right. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for very much. Thank uh, you Doc, very much. Anything else to add before we wrap this one up? Okay. Um, my parting shots are anyone into addiction, please, please, doesn't need stigmatization. They need love. When they are violent, when they are stealing stuff, or whatever they are doing in whatever presentation, it's an alarm that says, I can't help myself. So they just need love. That's my getting short. Thank you for that, for those powerful words. Um, thank you very much, Dr. Dewa, uh, addiction counselor who's been sharing with us some sobering conversations about uh, what's going on with addiction. Unintended. Um, as usual, thank you very much, Dr. Nirai, for being here with us from Wired to Love and Thrive. You can find Wired to Love and Thrive online or you can look for Dr. Nirai and uh, just let her know that you think she's the best. Uh, and ourselves, as usual, Two Broke Twimbos. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to twobroketwimbos.com forward slash donate. Or if you have something that's really bothering you and you want to talk about it and you'd like us to help you find a professional to deal with it, a mental health professional, go to twobroketwimbos.com forward slash help where you can send in your problems, even anonymously, if you so choose, and we can address them on the podcast with a professional. All right. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, that's another episode in the can. Thank you. Thank you so much, much, doctor. Thank you so much, doc. Thank you. Well, appreciated. Thank you. Really deep. (laughs) But thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. you. All right. I'm out. Thank you very much. eh? Okay, thank you. Thanks, Dr. Nurei. Good night. Good night. I hope you enjoy your evening. We have the rest of the show to do now. Yes. Okay, let's do, let's do it. Let's do it. You hey. might have to do some jumping jacks and then get your energy. Oh, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Dewey. It's not that I, I need money to fix my problems, Dr. Nurei. That's, that's what I was thinking. Me too, I need money. When you find some, find me some too. <laughs> you guys take care. Thanks, Tom. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. Was Was that okay? Was it good? Yeah, yeah, it was good. But it just, at some point, it was getting a little bit um, technical. But it was still, it was good information. There's some people that will, we'll, that will... We'll kind of resonate with that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Bye-bye.